Okay, open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Um, we, uh, we have, last week we finished John chapter 3, but, but we're going to continue. Let me kind of tell you how things are morphing. Um, we, we talked about, the last several weeks we've talked about regeneration, what regeneration is, um, and the, this week and next week we're going to deal with uh, some what I consider to be, um, not just consider, what is a serious error as it relates to uh, regeneration. So we'll do that this week and then next week. We'll finish up because there's what we want to do is I want to talk in general about what is what is the teaching of baptismal regeneration and and why is it unbiblical and then next week we're going to deal with the, what I call the big three these are three verses that are typically put forth as evidence to justify baptismal regeneration but then we'll talk about believers baptism what the Bible says about baptism itself. And then I got to thinking, well, we might as well just keep going and talk about Lord's Supper. So then we'll do Lord's Supper. So then we'll cover our two ordinances uh, of, of, um, of baptism and Lord's Supper. Okay? So that's kind of where we're going with this. John chapter 3, verse 5, if you remember, um, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What we have is uh, many take this verse as as a justification or they say this water means baptism. Now, in order to be enter into the kingdom of God, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You have to be baptized. So baptismal regeneration is a name given to a doctrine and a teaching that maintains that water baptism is necessarily linked to salvation. That salvation is impossible apart from it. Uh, let's see here. Is it, is it working? Okay. This is from the... Cat, the, the and, and I'm going to deal with three groups, although there are some, there are some uh, denominations of Christian church who hold a baptismal regeneration. And I think some Episcopalian, uh, some higher church Episcopalians do as well. But these are the three major ones. Obviously, Roman Catholicism. This is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 1, the Sacrament of Baptism. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Um, through baptism, the, the emphasis obviously is mine. Okay? Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in his mission. Baptism is, is the sacrament of regeneration through water and the Word. Um, in fact, the, the, the official uh, label for baptism is called the labor of regeneration. Um, we could go into more of that, but just to let you know, this is from the, so the Roman, Roman Catholic uh, dogma, really, is baptismal regeneration. The necessity of baptism. The Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation. He also commands his disciples to proclaim the gospel to all nations and to baptize them. Baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for this sacrament. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. This is why she takes great care not to neglect the mission she has received from the Lord to see that all who can be baptized are, quote, reborn of water and the Spirit. Again, that, that's from John 3, what we just read. 
God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments, which is interesting. Okay, so that's the catechism of the Catholic Church. What about Church of Christ? Church of Christ uh, also holds to baptism and regeneration. Churches of Christ teach that baptism by immersion for believers is essential for the remission of sins and is necessary for salvation. They use passages such as Mark 16. We're going to look at these to substantiate this teaching. Baptism has a threefold purpose. It is necessary for salvation. It places the believer in Christ, and it places the believer in the church. So churches of Christ hold to baptism regeneration. Lutherans hold to baptism regeneration. This is from Luther's, I guess it's, is it shorter or short? I put short. probably should be shorter catechism. The, the blessings of baptism. What does baptism give or profit? Baptism effects forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, just as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay? So, this is not a hypothetical... This is, this is the major doctrine of Roman Catholicism, of Lutheranism, and of Church of Christ. And again, I think some of the uh, high, high church uh, Episcopalians also hold the baptism regeneration. I believe in the strongest possible terms that, that this is a serious error and does not align with the gospel presented in the New Testament. And that's what I'm going to attempt to show over the, this week and next week. So what is wrong with it? What is wrong with this view of baptismal regeneration. The first thing is, and, the, and, and by the way, this is something that for every point that we cover this morning, this is really would be our starting place. And it's called the analogy of faith. What's the analogy of faith? Anybody remember? What is the analogy of faith? What, it's a hermeneutical principle. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, there, there's two basic parts of the analogy of faith. First is that Scripture interprets Scripture. And number two is that we always interpret the unclear or the less clear in light of the, the, the more clear or the obvious. So those are the two primary tenets. Scripture interprets Scripture. We always interpret what's less clear or less obvious, with, which is more clear. And obviously the third one goes without saying is that Scripture does not contradict itself. So that's what we call the analogy of faith, okay? So that's really point one. Uh, baptism, the view of baptismal regeneration really contradicts the vast majority of biblical texts that clearly teach that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. So here's what I did. I, I looked up all the verses that, that uh, dealt with salvation, direct verses that dealt with salvation, where there's no mention of baptism. And here's what I came up with. And you can see the list there. Then I looked up what verses talk about salvation, specific verses talk about salvation, that include baptism. And you'll see the ones they have over there. So I guess just visually, we need to say, okay, if we were going to interpret something in light of something else, what might we want to side with, at least initially? Probably the side that well, there is no mention of baptism. Now, if we would want to explain, we would want to explain these in, in light of these. Now, 
You notice I asterisked Mark 16, 16. We're going to look at that this morning. And Titus 3, 5. We're going to look at that this morning. Titus 3, 5 does not specifically mention baptism. But I included it over here because this is a key, key verse that those who hold to this position quote. Titus 3, 5 does not talk about baptism. That's read into it. Mark 16 does, but we're, that, we're going to look at Mark 16. Okay? So I, I think clearly from, from the outset, it, it really does contradict the, the, the vast evidence that we have of verse after verse after verse that talks about justification, about salvation, and baptism is not mentioned at all. In fact, these verses, many of these verses specifically rule out any works. We hold to the biblical teaching of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Water baptism is a work. Now, it, it tries to, we're going to talk about this in a minute. They, they try to redefine it. They say, no, it's an act of obedience. It's an act of faith. It's part of, it's part of our faith. We'll talk about that in a minute. Again, that the Bible teaches, guys, it teaches over and over and over again that a person is not saved by any works or by a contribution of works. Now, baptism regeneration is not saying that baptism and only baptism saves you. They say, no, you have to have faith, too, but it's faith plus water baptism. So that's why I say the Bible doesn't even say that that water baptism is necessary to contribute to our salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches in terms of true salvation. It, again, it contradicts the vast majority of biblical texts that deal with salvation that clearly teach that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. I, I found one as I was doing this. Look with me at 2 Timothy 1.9. Just as, I guess, as an example. I, for some reason, I've never... I've always passed over this or never heard it as, as, as being part of salvation and justification verses, but 2 Timothy 1.9. Well, actually... Eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the <laughs> do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Specifically says not according to our works. Um, we're going to look at Titus 3.5 more, more more detail in a little bit. But Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Again, we, we talked a little bit about washing there. It doesn't say baptism. If it, even if it did, it, verse 5 said it was not on the basis of deeds. Okay? So that's number one. And, of course, obviously we all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that anyone should boast. So, according to the Bible, if we were to look up these verses, what do we find? We find that 
that salvation is not doing something. It's knowing someone. It's not based on what we do. It's based upon what Christ has already done. It's not trying. It's trusting. It's not working. It's resting. Not working our own works, but it's resting on the work of another, namely Christ. Good works are not what a man does in order to be saved. Good works are what a saved man does. And, and I think, again, the classic is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We just quoted it. But anybody know verse 10? What, anybody? What's that? Yeah. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What came first? Verses 8 and 9. <laughs> so, good works are not what a man does in order to be saved. But good works are what a saved man does. And in, in three weeks, we're going to talk about salvation versus discipleship. Because I see, in, even in evangelicalism, I see a lot of um, uh, conflating discipleship with evangelism. Or discipleship with salvation. And, and we, we want to keep those separate, too. And, and, and I think that we need to remember that it's God's holiness that condemns the best man. But it's God's grace that freely justifies the worst man. And grace alone. We, guys, we have to hold to grace alone through faith alone. Not by any works. So it contradicts the vast majority of, of, of our salvation texts that clearly teach that, sal- that, that, that salvation does not include water baptism. Number two, it confuses water baptism with spirit baptism. Uh, one of the errors that baptism regenerates, they don't recognize, it seems, that there are different baptisms in the New Testament. So whenever they see baptism, they automatically read water baptism into it. Um, does the, does the Bible teach water baptism? Yes. Anybody, any verse come to mind where, where, where it's clearly talking about water baptism? Yeah. All of, most of the, most of the Acts accounts. Uh, Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. What is the Great Commission? To baptize them. So, whenever we see water baptism, who's doing the baptizing? <laughs> Thank you, Noah Webster. <laughs> no, there's someone who's doing it. There's a human. There's a human element involved in water baptism. If you, if you look up all the baptisms, especially through the Book of Acts. Um, but what they do is they confuse water baptism with spirit baptism. For instance, look at First Corinthians 12. Which time do we have? First Corinthians 12. Verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, each individually just as he wills. Now, the context of chapter 12 is he's talking about both the unity and the diversity of the body. 
the body of Christ. That there's diversity within unity, there's the unity within diversity. Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Who's doing the baptizing in verse 13? The Holy Spirit is. Unless they unless baptism renders that the Holy Spirit baptized them in water. No, the, the Bible the Bible talks about spirit baptism, that there's more in the more baptism in the Bible than just water baptism. There's spirit baptism. That this is in fact turn to Romans chapter six. Beginning verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him, that's the key. Circle united. For if we have become united with him, which is what he's just talked about. So he's saying, if we've become united with him, which we've just talked about, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. I suggest to you there's no water here in verse 6, or chapter 6. He's talking about be, being, being baptized into the body of Christ, a spirit baptism into the body of Christ, because he says, this is, this is our union. Water does not produce union with Christ. It is the Spirit that produces union with Christ, being baptized into the body of Christ. We also see this in Galatians 3. Turn to Galatians 3. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is union. He's talking union with Christ. Not water baptism, but spirit baptism. And, and in fact, it, it, the book of Ephesians, you see over and over again, that this is something that I think that, man, we need to, we need to spend some time on at some point, is this 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 biblical notion of our union with Christ. What does it mean? What does our union with Christ mean? Because Ephesians talks about in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. So it confuses water baptism with spirit baptism. Um, again, we could look at we could look at other verses that we don't have time to. Um, so number two, it confuses water baptism, spirit baptism. Number three, it misrepresents the grace of God. By teaching that salvation, at least in part, is something we must do. Let me say that again. It misrepresents the grace of God by teaching that salvation, at least in part, is something that we must contribute to. Turn to John chapter 6.
Verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me. Remember, the big crowds were following Jesus. You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the, uh, for, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so may we do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This would be a great opportunity for Jesus to say, And be water baptized. But he doesn't. This, um, this belief that we contribute through water baptism also means that I can lose my salvation. I mean, if I have a part in, in, in my salvation, then I can have a part in losing my salvation. This is why Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism, Church of Christ, all three believe that you can lose your salvation. Which begs the question, if you lose your salvation, let's say that you do something to lose your salvation. You commit an, an intentional sin. And you repent. Do you have to be baptized again? Did you get unborn? Or do you have to get water baptized again? Um, years ago, I had a friend who was Church of Christ, and I asked him this very question. I said, let's, let's assume that someone uh, made a profession of faith in Christ in, in your Church of Christ, and he got baptized. And uh, he, during that week, he, he committed a sin, and he lost his, an intentional sin. He lost his salvation, and he, and he got in a car accident. Would he go to heaven? And he said, no, he wouldn't, not unless he got rebaptized. And he's being consistent. If, if water baptism is a necessary part of salvation, and if you can lose your salvation, then you can need to continually get rebaptized. It's interesting to me, though, that the very denominations, the very people who hold to baptism regeneration, at least they're being consistent, they all believe you can lose your salvation. So, again, I know a lot of people that will hold the baptism of regeneration, but then they, they say, well, no, you're secure in your salvation, and that's being inconsistent. At least they're being consistent. Okay, number four, and this is the biggie. Baptism regeneration confuses faith with fruit, or if you want a, a rhyme, root with fruit. Um. Again, when, when those who hold to baptismal regeneration are shown the multitude of texts that condition salvation on faith alone, they often say something like this. They say, well, you need to understand that what faith really means. True faith involves obedience. And, and by the way, I see this in evangelicalism, too. We're going to deal with this when it comes to salvation versus discipleship. See, true faith really involves obedience, and this means that believing in Christ also means following him, obedience, and baptism. In other words, they, they will call uh, baptism an act of faith. It's not a work. It's an act that's produced by faith. Here's, what's pro- here's the problem with that. I can say that about any good work. Well, I go to church. That's not a good I go to. I believe that going to church will save me. Well, Then someone will say, well, that's a good work. No, but that's an act of faith. At that point... 
the whole notion of good works goes away. All, we can, all, I can, all I can do is just define it as an act of faith. We don't require them that there are many things. How do I put this? There are many things that faith produces in our lives that we are obeyed, that we are commanded to do. But those things don't become conditions for our salvation. Let me give you an example. One of the things that true faith in Christ produces is love. Are we commanded to love one another? Yeah. But we don't therefore say, well, faith and love are required to save you. In other words, there's a lot of things. The baptism is a step of obedience. But, but it's a, we, make a, we make a grave error when we take a, a subsequent step of obedience that's a part of discipleship and say that it's a necessary part of salvation. We wouldn't do that about anything else that, that faith produces and then turn it into a condition for salvation. It confuses faith with fruit. Baptism is important. We're going to talk about that next week. That, that, that some churches downplay baptism. It's important. But, but um, it's a, it's, we, we commit a grave error when we take the fruit of faith and, make it a, and add it to faith and make it a condition for salvation. Number four, it confuses faith with fruit. Number five, I contend, and this is kind of the opposite of number one, there is no biblical text that teaches baptismal regeneration. There, there are no biblical texts. And we say, wait a minute. Yeah, you say there's salvation verses that, that mention baptism. Yeah, they mention baptism. But they do not teach baptismal regeneration. I want to look at two of those this morning. And then we'll talk about what I call the big three next week. Okay. The first one is Mark 16. So we're going to look at Mark 16, 16, and Titus 3, 5. So let's do Titus 3, 5 first. Turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I know we were there earlier, but go back to Titus 3, 5. Again, these are the, these are the only texts that, that, they, that those who hold this position can bring up. Uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 12 sometimes are used, but it's talking about circumcision. They, they make this circuitous... Try to make the securitist uh, logic to, to equate circumcision with baptism. Um, but th- these are these are the, the, the basic ones that, that you hear. Titus three five. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. Where is baptism mentioned? Again. Those who hold the baptism read often pride themselves in a literal render, literal interpretation of the text. Literal interpretation of the text, the plain meaning of the text, where is baptism? It's not there. That's number one. There's, we, we have to read baptism into this notion of washing. What does it say? Washing of what? Regeneration. This is what we call, obviously, a genitive. So what are our options? Either, the, either regeneration is doing the washing or what? Or receiving the washing. Regeneration receives the washing. Those are your only two options. 
if you want to just deal with the text. There's nothing here about water baptism. You have to assume. Um, Ephesians 5.26. I'm sorry, Susie. 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Is this water baptism? It's washing of what? The Word. Washing of the Word. And obviously, um, someone once said the trajectory of the text itself is not leading towards water baptism, not by deeds done in righteousness. Okay? Again, Titus 3.5 is not talking, water baptism is not there. You have to assume that the washing of regeneration is water baptism. It's not there. Washing is what regeneration does. Washes us of the defilement of our sin. We already looked at that, John chapter 3. What about Mark 16? Turn to Mark 16. This is going to be interesting. And I'm so glad Sal is not here. My, our Textus Receptus guy. Mark 16. If you look at verse 9, what do your Bibles say at Mark 16, verse 9? I'm just curious. What are some of your translations? What do, what do they note, note there? Tom, you have NIV. Uh, what does NIV say? Tom Tanner, you have NASB? What does NASB say? Okay, later manuscripts add 9 through 20. Tom, what is NIV? I think NIV is even a little more explicit. Two, which is Alexandrinus and um, I know this like the back of my hand. Um, Vaticanus. Thank you. <laughs> See that whole thing, him to him to him to. Most most conservative scholars and textual critics, and I won't go into all the all, all the technical uh, explanations. Mark nine sixteen nine through twenty was not most agree was not part of the original. Well, we have all different kinds of variations. We have a shorter ending of Mark, and it's found in different places. Some of it's found at the, the, the end of Luke. Um, and, and so he, here's the point. Is it, is it original? Probably not. Can we say 100% it's not? Not 100%. But the starting point is if you, if you are basing a major doctrine based on Mark 16, not in 9 through 20, you're in trouble. It is not, it, that at best, it's unwise to base any major doctrine on a text that is highly disputed as even being part of the original. At worst, you do. For instance, um, the Luther Shorter Catechism quotes verse 16. Let's read verse 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. 
All right, so this is one where salvation and water baptism is mentioned. Now, let's look at the verse itself. What does it say? The verse really has two statements, does it not? The first one is what? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. What's the second part? Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, what would you expect it to say? He who does not believe and is not baptized. To to be parallel, you would expect it to say, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved and not baptized shall not be saved. But notice what the only condition for not being saved in the second part of that verse is. Not believe. It also commits what's called kind of a, what's called the negative inference fallacy. This whole this whole notion of um, baptism or, or faith plus baptism really is um, com- commits a classic fallacy, and, that, and that's this: that, that if a statement is true, that we can assume that all the negations of that statement are also true. Again, if a statement is true, then we can assume that the negations of that statement is true. Let me give you an example. This is the best example I can think of. Um, a dog with brown spots is an animal. Is that true? Yes. A dog with brown spots is an animal. What if I said a dog, um, does that mean that a dog that doesn't have brown spots is not an animal? No. See, to say a dog that has brown spots is an animal does not mean that the negation is also true. It doesn't mean that a dog that doesn't have brown spots is not an animal. It just says that dogs that do are. Let me give you maybe a better example as it relates to water baptism and these statements. Whoever believes and lives in Colorado will be saved. Is that true? Yeah. I didn't say whoever believes and lives in Boulder. No, the statement, whoever believes and lives in Colorado, will be saved. Is that true? Yes. But does the statement, does the negation of that state, is the negation of that statement true? Does that mean that if you don't live in Colorado, you won't be saved? No. Nowhere in the Bible do we find a statement even remotely close to whoever is not baptized will be condemned. Nowhere. The fact that we have some in three verses that talk about baptism and, and salvation does not mean that the negation is also is, is therefore true. That if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Finally, anyone who would appeal to Mark 16, 16, I would also expect them to defend verses 17 and 18. Let's read 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will p- pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So, again, I, I don't know that it's really wise to go to Mark 16, 16 in, in, in for all of these reasons. But, again, the final reason for me is, well, if 16, 16 is, is appealed to, then I would certainly 
expect uh, that person, anybody who appeals to any, to base any major doctrine on this text, to also have to defend those. Finally, neither the, 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 Titus three five doesn't talk about water baptism. Mark sixteen does, but the converse, specifically in the text, says. Everyone who believes in the baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe is condemned. It doesn't say that whoever was believed and not baptized. Why would, why, would, why would they not include that in the second part of the statement? Yeah. Finally, let's look at a few practical scenarios. So we've talked about biblical evidence. We've talked about kind of the logical fallacy behind it. Let's, let's talk about practically. Um, this is what I would, I guess, pr- pr- uh, present on a practical level to those who hold to baptism regeneration. Scenario one. Sally goes to church. She hears the gospel and she trusts Christ. However, she's not able to get baptized right away for whatever reason. She schedules it for the following Sunday. Tragically, she's in a serious car accident during the week and she dies. According to baptismal regeneration, is she going to heaven? Now, again, what they'll want to do is they say, well, there are exceptions. Now, if you hold to a a literal water baptism rite, there can be no exceptions. If you say that's necessary for salvation, there can be no exceptions. Is there any exception to faith alone? No. There are no exceptions. Would Sally go to heaven? No. Not if you hold the baptism of regeneration, if you want to be consistent. Scenario two. Bill. I, I, cho- I purposely chose names that no one represented here. Bill is invited to church by his friend Larry. Bill trusts Christ and he's baptized right away. A year later... Bill is invited to a Mormon church by another friend. And he becomes a Mormon. Is he still saved? According to baptism regeneration. Is he still saved? Fell away. He lost it. The answer is no. Now, turn that on faith alone. What would we say? What should we say? We don't know for sure. I mean, really, we should say we we don't know for sure. Because we don't know what he's done in his heart. We know for sure what he's done or not done with water baptism. We don't know for sure. What would we assume? That he, he never really did. What's that? Yeah, 1 John 2, 19. Scenario three, Alice, see, I'm picking names that no one. Alice is a quadriplegic. And also, and by the way, this is based on the names of change to protect the innocent. We had a situation like this at the same church that I got shamed in the musical. Alice is a quadriplegic. And also, 
as a child had a near-death experience in a swimming pool. Not only is she absolutely terrified of water, but due to her disability, she's not able to be baptized. Can she be saved? As you can see, there are a lot of problems with baptism regeneration. Not the least of which is there are no verses that actually teach it. Nor are there any verses that, that specifically say, if you are not baptized, you are not saved. And if you want to, you know, they, again, they, they say, we, we, we're, we're literalists in, in, in interpreting the Bible. Where does the Bible say that if you're not baptized, you're condemned? So we looked at textually, logically, I guess practically. Next week, what we want to do is we want to take the three really, I guess you'd call them problematic verses. So I call them the big three. Acts 2.38, Acts 26.20, 1 Peter 3.21. These, the, these are the big three. These are the big guns that baptism regenerationalists use to, 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 uh, to supposedly bolster or to, to justify adding water baptism to salvation. And it's, it's important that we look at them and take them seriously. But next week we'll also not just look at what we're against, what what not what we're against, but what the Bible does not teach. But what does the Bible teach about baptism? One last thing. Turn to First Corinthians chapter one. This is just something um, that really didn't fit in any of the. Any of the reasons? First uh, Corinthians one seventeen. This is Paul. Paul said, "For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ would be made void." I mean, he he talks about well, I did baptize a few people. Verse eleven. Um, uh, where is it? Um, yeah, I guess the verse right before. I did baptize also the house of, and made. I don't know whether I. I don't know who else I baptized. It, if, if water baptism was so important, was was indelibly tied to salvation, would Paul treat baptism? Would he say this about baptism? He didn't really send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. I might have baptized a few people. I, I can't remember. Now, is that our only strand of evidence? No, but I was reading, I was reading first, I'm thinking about what to do next in terms of preaching series. And I thought, this is interesting. Paul says, I, 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 didn't come to, I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. I could make an argument saying that he distinguishes those two things. That the baptism is not part of the gospel. It, 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 just, it just stymies me to think that Paul would say, Christ did not send me to baptize if baptism was necessary for regeneration. It would seem like he would preeminently want to baptize if they were inseparably linked. Guys, this is a serious error. Um, and and any, any denomination that has gone down this route and, and, and adopted this 
This is not the only error. Error begets error. When we start deviating from grace alone through faith alone, and we can't define it away. We can't say, well, baptism is a part of grace or baptism is a part of faith. Because then I can say anything is a part of faith. It's a serious error. We have to take it very seriously in terms of the gospel that we preach, in terms of the, the gospel that we give to people. The Bible's solid affirmation is that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And if someone trusts in Christ and they walk out that door and they get hit by an RTD bus, the promises of Scripture are that they will be in heaven. Let's pray. Father, our goal is to rightly divide your word. Our goal is to affirm what you affirm. Lord, we, um, we want to stand for truth. We want to stand for the true gospel. We don't want to add anything. It's not faith plus anything. It's faith alone that saves. So, Father, we... we when we consider the truth of this, when we look at the evidence of the Bible, what, what a relief for us. That is, that is through simple faith and trust in You. It, it, is, it is believing that You were God, that Jesus, that Jesus was God, that He came to earth, He took on humanity, He died uh, and rose again. And that if we believe that He is God and that He he paid the penalty for our sins, we have eternal life. And as we'll look at next week, Lord, I I always go back to this Philippian jailer when he says to to Peter and Paul, what shall I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Not believe and be baptized. Believe. That's good news. Father, help us to maintain that good news. Father, thank You for Your Word and all that it does to lead and guide us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, a couple things before you go. you already got the, the you should have gotten the email we are restarting Wednesday night study March 25th uh, Lord willing um, yeah it's, uh, and uh, Job home group uh, this coming Sunday next Sunday uh, I will send we'll hand out a, 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 our, our schedule because 
one of, one of our Sundays is going to be on Easter, so I'll show you how what we're going to do around Easter. I don't think it affects the other the, the Friday night one. So, uh, but I'll let I'll let Job know. Um, I'm, I'm thinking there was something else. Anything else? Okay. You're dismissed. Have a great week. Mm. Yeah. No. No, I. I